millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Greg Haynes here. Welcome to already episode 19 of the Full Throttle Bikes podcast here at Eurosport. And this week we're looking back on Thruxton BSB and getting excited ahead of the Cadwell Park round. Not this coming weekend, but the next one. Always a highlight, of course, Cadwell on the BSB calendar. Plenty to get through, though. We'll have not just one, but two McKenzies. We've got Neil and Taz on the show. And then Eurosport's very own Matthew Roberts at the end of the programme as we look behind the scenes and talk not just about the racing, but what's going on in the TV truck while we're actually broadcasting live on air on Eurosport. But we kick off with a digestion of the race weekend with Neil McKenzie. And Neil's on the line now. Well, Neil, first of all, have you cooled down? I don't know about you, but I was hot there. That was a boiling weekend. There was no cool place to hide at Stroxton, whether you're on a bike, in the pit lane, in hospitality. They were all boiling out in the bright sunshine. <laughs> I mean, we complain too much about bad weather, but it's been so good. Super hot, and the track temperature was hot, and, of course, the racing was super hot. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Haslam, Dixon, Hickman in the first race, Brooks, Hickman, Dixon in the second. The name that's standing out for me there more than anyone is Hickman, first of all. Yeah. I didn't even think yeah. he was going to be racing, let alone a third and a second. Unbelievable. I spoke to his dad last night, and he was rushed to a one o'clock in the morning, uh, treated with uh, an IV uh, till 4 o'clock in the morning uh, just to stabilise him uh, with a kidney and liver infection that had actually been... Uh, bubbling under for about six weeks and he chose to ignore it but um because he was so busy with the eight hour brand hatch um and he was just getting through it but it just all came to head and uh but he was proper poorly collapsed uh at at midnight in the paddock uh but i mean just getting out of hospital was one thing but getting back in the bike was incredible missed the morning warm-up and actually put two cracking races together unreal have you ever ridden ill before, Neil? Anything quite like that? Do you know, I, ha- I haven't. I've been ill immediately after races. And I think your body your body and your mind psychologically just deals with it and it gets you through it. I mean, but I've never, I can, I honestly, I've never been that ill. Apart from injuries or pain, I've never been uh, physically ill like that uh, before a race and had to go and do it. But your mind's an incredible thing. And I'm sure he's really rough today and, and finishing off his treatment in the next few weeks. But... Uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a lot to drag yourself out of bed and make that happen, but it just shows you the strength of the guy. 
Yeah, unbelievable. He was rider of the weekend for me. Who would you go for? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, Peter was always was always favourite going into Shropshire because he was strong there last year. Um, but of course, cause the illness kind of put put him on his back foot a bit. But he, he came out as, as strong as ever. Brooks was going to be a favourite as well, and he was, and he, he proved that. I think maybe the biggest surprise was Haslam. Had no success there before, and looked like he was struggling all the way through practice. But as always, he came out on, on race day and, and put it on the podium in the first race as well, uh, at least. But um, Haslam, for me, was the the guy that overperformed, uh, just going on his past form and, and the way he was in practice. He did, actually, didn't he? He's extended the points to 82. He's guaranteed a spot in the showdown. He's won on every track on the calendar now. Yeah. The thing is, I guess, the worry for Leon Haslam fans will be that once we get to Alton Park... He's going to have a thing stand. What's it going to be? It would be about a 23-point lead at the moment on podium credits. Yeah, yeah. They know things can still change, don't they? Uh, he has to, yeah. I mean, he has to keep racking up the, the podiums because Brooks, Brooks took a lot of points out of him in the second podium because, of course, Haslam was fourth and Brooks won it. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's suddenly the danger man. And the, the, big, the big danger also is Brooks is super strong at Brands Hatch. There's three races at the final round there. Uh, Brooks has always already proved that he's been unbeatable this year. So, so Haslam really needs to to try and get himself in a similar position to last year, be in control going there. But but even that wasn't enough for Leon Haslam last year. So it, it, it's still anybody. Um, Jake Dixon's in the mix. He's super consistent on the podium every week. Glenn Irwin's a little bit more up and down, but but he'll be there on the Ducati. But we've also got Peter Hickman now knocking on the door of the showdown as well. And and he the next round for him at Cadwell is a strong one. So he's he's going to be very much in the mix as well, I think. Which makes you think that Danny Bucker might be in a bit of a vulnerable position, doesn't it, at the moment? He's sixth, last to go through the showdown, as things stand, a non-finish in the first race. Yeah. Uh, and a non-finish as well in the second race. A bit of a nightmare weekend for him. Yeah, I mean, they've been on a really nice, consistent year and been on a bit of a roll. And I guess... I was thinking about them this morning. I guess they'll, they'll sit around and say, OK, we're always going to have one bad weekend. Yeah. I guess we're hoping it wouldn't be quite as bad as that. But uh, he's all in one piece. He's OK. It wasn't really his fault. And, and they had decent pace all weekend. So so they're going to be there. But but that tail end of the showdown, there's him, Bradley Ray also. He's had a disastrous weekend again. Uh, and, and his riders building a bit of momentum and coming strong. Um, that could upset. Their fight for the showdown, um, the the likes of uh, Eden and Laverty are, are strong every weekend. Uh, Jason Halloran's coming back from injury. So there's a lot of these guys that can affect the, the, the last two or three places in the showdown. So it's going to be really interesting. What's actually going on with Bradley Ray, Neil? I'm trying to get, you know, ask lots of people this question because he started off the season so well. I guess we still have to remember he's still relatively new, so we can't be too hard on the guy. He's still done a great job. Uh, yeah. But what's happened recently? Well, I, I mean, Donington was an odd one. It was super cold. He got something that worked. He's an amazing rider and he, he got the job done. But if you look at his results and he's qualifying from then on, if you looked at it on a graph, it goes from the very top to the yeah. very bottom and it's it's been consistently yeah. bad um some of it's been bad luck some of it's been a little he's made a few errors in riding uh they had some technical issues with the data that it appeared that it was reading wrong or being downloaded wrong or they were interpreting it wrong uh but they claimed to have sort, sorted all of that out um he made a mistake in race one went down and he was he was he was i don't know whether he was lacking confidence or injured or but he's very poor in race two and certainly not 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 showdown pace so uh Suzuki wasn't the greatest at Cadwell last year 
So they'll be, they need to dig very deep in the next couple of rounds to, to secure the showdown now, which seemed at the beginning of the year pretty much guaranteed. So it's uh, that's just a huge question mark over the Bill Bay Suzuki team at the moment. It seems like pole position wasn't very lucky at Thruxton either because Glenn Irwin took another great pole. That's two in a row. That's pretty impressive. Two brothers on the front row for the first time from qualifying. But then he dropped down to fifth from pole and then Luke Mossy had the pole for race two and ended up eighth. So pole wasn't really the place to be, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean that is that is BSB, and uh, especially Jackson can throw up some some results. Glenn Irwin said he and Paul Bird said he needed nothing less than wins at Truxton. and that was far from happening. So uh, yeah, yeah, he's uh, but it can turn around that quick. It, it tends to do that in BSB. The script is impossible to predict every weekend. Um, so we can we can guess all we want, but uh, I mean anything can happen. But the truth is, there's a dozen strong riders that can finish on the podium now. So it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much enemies. I think Brooks and Haslam guaranteed. Erwin pretty close. After that, uh, anything can happen in in the next ten or twelve places. What about Taran then? Because I've just been looking at the points. He's not yep. that far off, you know. He's 46 points behind Danny Buchan. Do you think he can actually get into the showdown? Well, he, I mean, his job this year is to be learn how to learn how to ride a superbike, and that's just been going perfectly because he, he every track's a new challenge. Uh, but he's come away from every track uh, getting stronger and stronger. Um, and the weekend at Shropshire was his best ever. Two points second, two point two seconds off the win, half a second off the podium. So. Yeah. And and he's consistent now, and he's loving it. Uh, the team have found a really sweet spot with the bike and, and how he likes it, and he's got tyres that work. So he's not thinking about the showdown, but he is thinking he desperately wants to grab a podium or two before the end of the year. So uh, Cadwell for him will be a challenge, but again, he's, he's going to get through it, learn as much as possible. But he feels after Cadwell, he'll be in a position to lay it on the line. And that and that includes helping his teammate in the last round. So, uh, well, <laughs> that's uh, yeah. He's definitely going to figure in, uh, in something. I mean, he's out there for himself, but uh, he's also he's also wants to do a job for the team. So it's uh, he could, he could play a part in all kinds of ways uh, between now and and the final at Brands. But you know how tricky Thruxton can be. You've obviously won there five times over the years. But to come through from the back after that crankshaft problem in qualifying and finish ninth in race one, that was that was pretty strong stuff. It, yeah, it was. He uh, he didn't know what to expect, but he was just looked at it as a challenge. And, and again, it was just great as a rider, a great experience for him to go and have to deal with that. Uh, it's quite interesting because before that race, Glenn Richard pulled me to one side and he said, I've got them going all the way to the front in this race. I've been watching them the last few rounds. I've been watching them this oh, weekend. Really? And so that was a really nice compliment. And coming from someone like Glenn Richards, who's done an amazing job with uh, Jake Dixon, uh, it, it says a lot. So, yeah, and he, he did. He had, a, he had a great time. He said he was maxed out in race two, but maxed out's fine if you're only two seconds off the win. Um, and he didn't want to risk anything, but he was comfortable following Haslam, who he, he's got a massive respect for and knows he's one of the best superbike riders in the world. So he's, he's happy with his performance at the moment and he's just going to keep 
keep working and, and hopefully maintain it and, and, if, and hopefully improve as well. Well, that's it, isn't it? Three tenths of a second it was, just under four tenths behind Haslam, who's obviously leading the championship. He's off to World Superbikes next year with the best team alongside the world champion. So for yeah. Taron to be so close to him, that's not bad going yeah. at all. No, no, no. He's, he's, he's very, very happy with the fact that he can race with Liam Haslam. He says it's bizarre. Watch, he sometimes has to kind of double take things because he can't, he, he's enjoying his riding, <laughs> but he can't believe he's who he's riding with. So he says, but it's great fun, enormous fun. And he's just loving every second. So thanks to Neil there. Moving on swiftly then from one Mackenzie to another. Taron had an absolutely great weekend, as we've just said. Ninth from the back of the grid in race one. Fifth in at race two from a much elevated grid position this time. But even so, more progress being made by Mackenzie, who, of course, is Josh Brooks's teammate at Macam's Yamaha. Here he is now then, Taron Mackenzie. Right, well, good news. We have got Taz on the line now as well on his own mobile phone because he's old enough to have his own phone now, aren't you, Taz? But that is amazing stuff coming from the back of the grid up to uh, the midfield like that and then going on to finish in the top five. Not bad in the end. No, it's really good. Obviously, it wasn't ideal starting 26, but um, yeah, just my start in race one wasn't bad, but I didn't really make any headway until about five laps in. So, And then by the time... Sort of, I got to the front of the group. I think I was in about eight. The gap to the front guys then was a, a bit too big, so I ended up sort of using too much from a tyre and had nothing left really at the end. So I was happy with ninth. Uh, I would have liked to have done better, but starting from the back, I've got to be happy with that. And then, yeah, starting from seventh in race two obviously helped with my lap time from race one, put me up the grid a little bit, and then. Um, yeah, equaled my best result of the year, so ended the weekend on a high. And of all the teams, when you go in the McCams Yamaha garage, I don't know whether it's just me, but it seems like there's such a friendly atmosphere down there. They're all such nice people. They seem to work together so well. I'm not saying the other teams don't, because they obviously do, but it just feels like there's a really positive vibe down there. Do you get the same feeling? Yeah, we. Yeah, that that's right. The whole teams now, especially now, Josh is obviously at the front. It morale is a lot better it was anyway because everyone knew that when he got the bike right it would it would all come together nicely and then obviously with me I've, I've just been chipping away at each round really so yeah brand it's always it's been really nice atmosphere all year but then obviously brands it uh it was really good and then we carried that on to thruxton so all the guys uh are so nice in there and girls emma as well the tie girl so yeah um yeah I love work. I'm, obviously, I, I rode for them at the start of last year, and I knew how good of a team they were. So I was confident in coming back to BSB with them that I could have uh, a really good rookie year. And yeah, they're all um, all there for the right reasons. And uh, yeah, I love love working with them. What's it been like over the last few years? Because I mean, you're still only 22 now, but you've done one two fives, you've done rookies cup, you've done stock 600. Then it started getting even better. You started finishing on the podium, winning super sport champion, really dominant season. Then Moto two, and it's like, oh my god, what's happening? It's like it's a really it, from the outside it looks difficult, but we all know how the difficult circumstances were. How do you sort of keep your focus and keep the positivity to then come back to what you're doing now? Yeah, the Moto two. Um... It was obviously going to be really hard. I went in, yeah. I think, my first round with Le Mans. It was five rounds in. So they've all done their winter testing and yeah, um, yeah. they're all up to speed. So with me not 
know many of the tracks or the bike or tyres or anything like that. It was always going to be difficult, but I was in a really good team. Uh, the bike was good enough to win races. My teammate Dominique Agata won in Mizano. So, um, but for me, it was just one big learning curve, really. And then the idea was always to stay there for another year and then obviously have a proper winter's testing and a, a proper go at it this year. But due to a number of reasons, really, I couldn't, um, I couldn't continue. So, uh, but I knew. A lot of people obviously saw me wobbling about 25th or 30th place or whatever, but I knew deep down and the people around me knew that if what I'd gained there, the experience, riding with the best riders in the world and probably, in my opinion, the hardest championship in the world, that all the the things that I learned there, that I could bring it back into superbike. So it's obviously a big step. I'd never ridden a superbike before or even a, a like a proper thousand i'd only ever ridden a road bike really on dad's track days so mm. i knew coming back to the mccams team they're still a relatively new team in superbike it's only their second year as well obviously there's experienced guys there but um yeah i knew from my side with the things i'd learned in motor two and and the bike i'm on is now in superbike and the team that i've got around me it was, i was always i wasn't coming in with my head down really because uh i knew that i'd the yeah, the thing that I learned from those two was going to help me on the superbike. So, and it's turned out all right so far. No, it's turned out really well, isn't it? And that's the thing, I guess. Do you feel you've really learned a lot and changed as a person as well with that Moto Two experience? Because you know you were actually doing a good job, don't you? It's not like you were doing a bad yeah, job. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you look. I looked the other day. In fact, at, uh, the last the last round, I qualified thirty second. Yeah, horrendous. But I was only one point six off pole. Wow. So it was just things like that that I knew coming back it would obviously help. And and I know nothing about bikes, but I learned stuff about the chassis and the motor two bikes a lot more. Um, it like sort of it's a lot more in line with a super bike with the way you can change the bike whereas a super sport bike is sort of limited to the things you can change so I learned stuff about that and data and stuff I'd never really sort of not taken an interest but just didn't really need to know about it so in in motor two I got taught all that and and yeah it's definitely helping coming back um to super bike now so I think it was like the perfect training camp almost going there and and learning the things I did because if I I know for a fact People might not believe it, but I know for a fact if I just done Moto Two, uh, sorry, British Super Sport, and finished the season with McCams, uh, the idea was always to step up to Superbike with them, which would have been really good. And but I don't think I'd be getting the results I'm getting now if I just stayed in Super Sport. The things I learned in Moto Two are definitely helping me. Because people forget, don't they, the other riders around on the grid in Moto2, a lot of them have come through the Junior Moto3 World Championship. They've been around that sort of Dorna setup for a long time. They've been on those World Championship tracks. You know, you were thrown, you were thrown right in at the deep end. <laughs> it's ended up being a positive experience, but it wasn't easy, was it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a bit of a gamble, really, but it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down, I guess. Stefan Kiefer, yeah. like, he took a big gamble on me, really. He knew nothing about me. He'd just seen pictures of me in Supersport. He'd never even watched any races or anything. Really? So yeah. It helped that they needed a Brit in Motor 2. So, obviously, it was all the timing. It was, I was a bit lucky the way I got the ride, really. Because so, they wouldn't normally pick someone from from the UK, from the British Supersport class anyway. So, um, yeah, it was. I knew it wasn't, it wasn't going to be easy, and it definitely wasn't. But I tried my best, and I felt like I... 
I did everything I, I could, but uh, yeah, for one reason or another, it didn't, didn't quite happen. I'm sure if other people got on the bike, they might have done a better job, but uh, yeah, I know that I try my hardest every time I went out, and um, I think I'm a lot better person for it. I grew up a little bit having to travel around yeah. Europe and the world on my own, really. So It's interesting, though, what you say, Taz, about British riders, because if you look down the line, the next five or ten years, there's actually going to be quite a shortage of top British riders. Once Cal Crutch those finished and some of the other guys are out now, that must be quite a good thing in the back of your mind for people like you and Bradley Ray and Taylor that, you know, in one step at a time. But over the next few years, there could be potentially some good opportunities there. Yeah, definitely. I, I know that uh, like people like Brad and Jake, they've, they really want to get to World Championship and, and Moto2. So, um, yeah. yeah, there's definitely... Again, it's just a bit of timing and luck, I think. And if the right opportunity comes up for for whoever, then uh, you've got to take it with both hands, really. And yeah, you're right. The sort of the weird, like maybe the younger generation coming through the superbike class, and there's a lot of Brits in World Superbike at the moment. So I guess the next step, if the if the opportunity came up, would be Moto Two. So, and the Brits from Obviously, we've got John McPhee and Moto3 but, and the British Talent Cup, which is a really good, obviously, development programme. But exactly. for them yeah. to sort of step up, they've got a number of years yet. They've got to go through the, the Junior World Championship or Rookies Cup or, or whatever, and then Moto3. So, yeah, there's definitely uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely the option if, if the right ride and right team came up, I guess. Yeah, because exactly someone like a Thomas Strudwick, who's obviously really quick and he's doing well in Motorstar and he's leading the British Talent Cup. But it's going to be a few more years, isn't it? It's going to be another yeah. five, six, seven years. You know, if he's going to become a top-line Grand Prix rider, not that it's anything against him, it's just how it is. It's normal, but it's going to be a bit longer than it might be for guys like you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, yeah, I've I've been to Moto2 and I know if I went back there, that it, it would have to be the the right thing to do for my career. But I was lucky enough that if it didn't work out, I could come back still to an amazing team. McCann Jamar gave me an amazing opportunity and were willing to have me back, which was nice. So um, I'm really grateful for what they did because at one point it was looking like I was maybe going to have to get a nine-to-five job. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, they, they were. I was really lucky to come back to them, I guess. So... Um, at the moment, I'm happy where I am, and uh, yeah, just keep trying to progress in my superbike. What sort of nine to five job might it have been? Out of interest, did you actually start thinking about it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I've got no qualifications <laughs> or anything. So I left school when I was 16, and then yeah, sort of didn't really. I had a little job in a bike shop, but I don't know. So then I would have to get a paper round to start with, I think, and then go from there. Yeah. Well. University of Life, it's the best one in my opinion. But anyway, um, anyway, I started talking to you about Motor 2 and other stuff. What about British Superbikes? Because I was just looking at the points when I was chatting with your dad a second ago. And I know you're not thinking actively about the showdown, but you're only 46 points behind Danny Bucket, and there's still quite a few races to go. I mean, it's not out of the question, no, is it? I know. I didn't obviously come into the season like having a goal to get into the showdown, but I thought just see how the first part of the season goes and then sort of progress from there, really. And Yeah, I don't know. It's... It's tricky. Danny obviously had a really unfortunate weekend at, uh, last weekend at Thruxton, having two DNFs that weren't his fault. So yeah. it's always the, sh- the last few places of the showdown are always interesting because you've obviously got to be careful if you're on the edge like Danny is. Having two DNFs is not ideal for his showdown at all. So 
But for me, I think, um, how many points did you say I was off? 46, was it? 46, yeah. 46. So I think at the moment, just keep doing what I'm doing. And uh, if I get a little bit lucky and have a few a few uh, good results and maybe a podium, then I don't know, maybe it will be possible. But at the moment, I'm happy doing what I'm doing and, um, yeah, and just keep progressing every race. And uh, I think Cadwell will be a, a tricky track for me. Uh, it's not the best track uh, for me as a rider. I've never really gone the best there, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to riding a super bike round there. And uh, yeah, and, and then Silverstone, obviously, a track I know well, so uh, it'll be interesting, definitely. Must be a good uh, sort of motivational ego boost, if you like, though, to be finishing right up behind Leon Haslam, who's leading the championship, and who's going to be Jonathan Ray's teammate next year. I mean, when you're that close to him. In such difficult conditions at Thruxton as well, with the tyre situation and everything else, not bad at all, is it? No, it's really strange following him yesterday. Obviously, I've ridden with Jake and, yeah, yeah. and I've raced with Hickey pretty much all, all year, really. So uh, to follow him yesterday was quite strange, really. <laughs> but um, yeah, it is, really, it is really good. I was just happy following him and, and Jake and Brooks and Hickman. So, But I think to pass him, if I had to pass him yesterday, it would have been on the limit. So... Uh, yeah, I was happy with fifth and uh, to just follow. I followed Hickman pretty much the whole race at Knock Hill and it was only for an 11th, but I learned quite a lot from him. And then yesterday following Haslam and, and Jake was really good for my riding. So and just gaining that little bit of experience each time I go out. OK, well, thanks a lot for that. And I'll speak to you soon, Taz. Cheers, Greg. Thank you. Cheers, mate. See you later. Bye bye. Great stuff that Taz is continuing to make such good strides in BSB. Of course, he was the British Supersport champion back in 2016, as he's just explained so eloquently. A very, very character-building year in 17 with that Moto2 outing with Kiefer Racing. But he came back so much stronger, and he's right up there now, isn't he? A regular top 10 finisher, and even more than that, in the BSB class. Definitely a race winner of the future. And I'm sure those wins will be described and many questions will be asked about them by Eurosport's Matt Roberts. It's his fifth season already now. And so this is it. This is an historic moment. He's been in the podcast before in interviews, but he's never actually been here as an official guest. The legend, Matthew Roberts. How are you? <laughs> very well, thanks, Greg. Very honoured. That was a very nice welcome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, checks in the post. But anyway, good weekend, wasn't it? It was absolutely boiling there, but some good racing. Oh, it was brilliant. It was just, it was a perfect weekend, really. You know, there was, um, I mean, there was a few guys came off and um, a few little injuries here and there, but, um, you know, perfect weather, huge crowd, and uh, classic Thruxton, really. Yeah, it was. It was great racing, wasn't it? I remember Jack Burnicle said in the commentary, bring, Thru bring us to Thruxton every weekend. But Haslam was a bit of a surprise. I didn't expect him to win there, did you? Yeah, I don't think many people saw that coming from Leon, really, to be fair. But we, we should sort of expect the unexpected from him now. You know, we know him, <laughs> we've known him long enough. And yeah. I think since he came, he's come back to BSB, people kind of, you know, we look at his rec record at certain circuits, like at Snetterton, and sort of say, well, he's never won at Snetterton before. Uh, but of course, there are plenty of reasons why and circumstances that might uh, dictate that to be the case. And same at Thruxton, he's never won at Thruxton before. Well, he did this double at Snetterton. Yeah. He took the, the winning race one at, at Thruxton. The guy's got so much experience uh, when you've got a situation uh, like we had at the weekend where there were so many question marks about the tyres and a lot of guys weren't exactly mm. sure what they were going to run and how long they were going to last and what strategy they were going to 
uh, use uh, in race one anyway, you know, without the, the benefit of having at least a race under the belt. Uh, Leon used all of his experience in his racecraft to uh, to pull a win out of the bag, and um, he looks in a really strong position now. Obviously, the guys then had the benefit, didn't they? You know, Brooks made changes in race two, and so did Dixon, and they were able to be a bit more com- competitive. Uh, but uh, when it comes to uh, an all-round package, it's hard to look past Leon Haslam. Yeah, and actually, just thinking about it, I didn't really think about this before, but he had a win and a, and a fourth. Josh Brooks had a win and a fourth. So in terms of those all-important podium points, they're exactly the same as they were before Thruxton, and that's what's going to matter, isn't it, by the time we get to Alton Park? Yeah, and Leon missed out on the podium points in race two. Uh, but, you know, these are small margins. that He's on 43 podium points now. Uh, Dixon's on 20. Brooks is on 16. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to vary massively by the time we get to the showdown, but obviously every point counts as we saw at the end of last year. And I think both Haslam and Brooks know that obviously far better than anybody else, you know, so they're scrapping for every single point. And you saw the way that Leon fought for the winning uh, in race one, just how much those extra podium points meant to him. But um, it's going to be interesting. I, I think at this stage of the season, you know, you're also looking at anything and well, you know, part of the reason why Leon was a bit of a surprise is some of us are looking at it thinking, well, he's already in the showdown, basically, mm. you know. Uh, perhaps now he can afford to just roll off a little bit, take it easy and get himself ready for the showdown. But actually, no, he's, he's flat out every weekend trying to get the best possible result he can, laying it out there. And what about Peter Hickman as well? Because, you know, if you or I had a kidney and liver infection, you know, that would floor us for several days, wouldn't it? Surely, luckily, we've never had it. But unbelievable to come back and finish on the podium twice as well. How do you know? I've never had a kidney infection, Greg. You've been looking at my medical records again. <laughs> Have you had a kidney infection? No, <laughs> I haven't. But I think okay, good. You're, absolutely, you're absolutely right, though, because uh, <laughs> if I did have one, you'd, everybody would know about it. I don't think I'd be coming in, for, in to work like most people. You know? <laughs> and it's such a physical job as well, isn't it? Not to mention you know, the dangers that come with it as well. But we know that Hickey's a brave lad. They don't come much braver than you know, a TT record holder and multiple race winner. So... Uh, He's made of tough stuff, and not only that, you know, he was in Suzuka last weekend. He was obviously went through the the ringer at Thruxton this weekend, come out with a couple of brilliant results, and now he's off to the Ulster GP. You know, not content to uh, have a weekend off. He's um, yeah. he's the busiest man in, in bike racing in 2018, I think, and he's put himself right in in showdown contention now. I think he said himself, you know, if he hadn't have had a, a good weekend at Thruxton, that was kind of it really for his BSB Championship. Uh, but as it stands now, after those two results and with guys like Buchan and Iden and, and Laverty not doing so well around him this weekend, he's, he's holding himself to within seven points of a showdown spot. And um, you wouldn't bet against him now, I don't think. You know, there's a couple of guys who really need to look over their shoulder now, not least Danny Buchan, of course, but also Bradley Ray. You know, who would have thought that after the first couple of rounds? Brad Ray's only scored 18 points in the last four rounds now. Wow. Uh, you know, that's an abysmal run of form by anybody's standards. And it's... It, you know, he's really only in that showdown position still by virtue of the first three rounds. Uh, you know, he, he was so good in those first three rounds and it's got him into the position he's in now. And that just goes to show to the other guys, we've still got two rounds left. We've still got five races to go. There's a lot of points to be won. And, you know, if you can have a good couple of meetings, uh, and, and this goes for Hickman, Iden, O'Halloran, Laverty, um, I think they're the only guys realistically now with a chance of um, getting into that top six. Still very much all to play for. Yeah, it's really almost impossible to call, isn't it, a lot of that. And what about you, Matt? It's obviously, I was just working out in my head, it's your fifth season already with Eurosport, which I can't believe how fast that's gone, because it doesn't seem long since we were both in MotoGP. But it's, BSB is definitely very different, isn't it? But in the way they package the weekend to get so many races in, 
it's probably the best around, actually. Yeah, it's, I love it. Yeah, I can't believe it's five years either, to be honest, Greg. I, I'm actually flying yeah. to um, to Austria this week to do some circuit commentary. At, um, oh, yeah, of course. At the MotoGP. So that'd be nice to catch up with a, with a few old faces and stuff there. But I must say, I don't miss the, the travelling and all that so much. I was back in my own bed last night. I drove home. Me and James Whitten drove back. It was a long drive from Truxton, but nice to get home and wake up in your own bed on a Monday morning. There's nothing uh, beats that and spend some time with the family this morning. Yeah. And um, yeah, the uh, BSB weekends are brilliant. Like you say, it's wall-to-wall races, you know, and we, we come on air and we have a bit of a build-up, a bit of a chat with the guys and run a couple of VTs in and then we're racing all day and, um, it, it, you know, you're kind of just reacting to what happens and I love it. It's brilliant. It's, it's great fun. Something I've been getting more used to since I joined Eurosport last year, 2017, is open talkback because that's something I never had when I was commentating with Dorna in MotoGP mm. and, and World Superbikes. I don't know about you, but that takes some getting used to at first, doesn't it? The fact you have constantly got your director or your producer in your ear and the PA giving you counts as you're commentating and trying to focus on what's going on, listening to what your co-commentator is saying. There's all that going on in the background as well. Oh, yeah, and then bike noise and things like that as well. Yeah. It's, it's tricky, but... Yeah, I mean, I, um, I've... Like... Me and you got very similar background in the way that we started working for Donna, doing world feed commentary, where you would literally just go and sit in the commentary box, wait <laughs> yeah. for the pictures to come on the screen, and keep and talking talk. until they went away yeah. again, and then that was yeah. it. Nobody said well done, nobody said anything. Yeah. Um, but once I started working for the BBC in 2006, uh, and started, you know, obviously doing live broadcasts with, with Talkback and stuff for the full production, uh, I didn't really need to be on Open Talk back then. You know, I could have just been keyed directly when they needed me yeah. like and Susie would always be on open and I, and I always thought well I, I want to learn all that stuff if I ever need it in future so I was right from the very beginning even though I didn't need to hear all the people you know, I didn't always need to hear the director and the producer and the and the AP and everything else I, I wanted to listen to it all just to mm. get used to it so I spent a few years working with Susie where actually I was just kind of listening most of the time to what was going on and I went on a, a couple of other outside broadcasts like uh, Rugby Union and things like that to actually sit in the truck and work out what everybody was talking about, what their other individual jobs were, because otherwise they're just voices down in earpiece, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, over the years, it's not an easy thing to do, but I've kind of got used to it now, and you work out who you need to listen to and when. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and what to do in a crisis. Um, <laughs> panic, yeah. Panic. But I, actually, I, quite, I don't know about you, but I quite like, at least in commentary, do you know those moments when you get a red flag and it's all a bit chaotic, nobody's quite sure what's going to happen, all the timings have gone out of the window? That's sort of when we earn our money, isn't it, really? When you have to improvise in those unplanned situations. I find that quite exhilarating. Yeah, well, we had a couple at the weekend, actually, at Thruxton. Um, we were due to come on air at quarter past one, I think. They, were, they had some live rowing on Eurosport before us. And yeah. They did warn us. They said, look, the rowing might finish early and we might come to you 15 minutes early. So we had a program that was planned to go from quarter past one to, to half past one, which is when the first race was due to start. And uh, suddenly, whatever, half an hour before, before that, they said, right, we're going to come on air at one o'clock. So we had an extra 15 minutes to fill at the top. And that was literally unscripted just um you know off the cuff for 15 minutes but there's so much going on in the paddock i mean we, we could do hours and hours uh, of chat between shaky and, and and the rest of us and, and and wit and everybody you know they all talk so well they're so knowledgeable yeah we're never really going to get stuck for something to talk about and um and also bsb is so accessible the teams are so easy to work with the riders are always readily available uh so in that respect it makes the job um, a lot easier when you do get stuff like that and you and you have to improvise. 
Uh, luckily, it doesn't happen too often, but it obviously can happen sometimes. And it's fun in its own way, but can be a bit stressful. When the technology fails, like it did at Imola last year, we are in a bit of a mess then, aren't we? I didn't even know in the commentary box that you guys had had a load of problems in the TV compound. Generators had gone down from the circuit. We lost power. You had no talkback at all, did you? And you were presenting on site at Imola and didn't know what was going on in the truck. That's right, yeah. We had a com- they had a complete power cut, yeah, at the circuit. And uh, even though the broadcast was still going out, we couldn't hear anything or see anything. <laughs> and um, our floor manager that weekend, uh, Laura, was on the phone to the producer, Will, uh, <laughs> and then relaying everything that he was saying to her. She was sort of miming to me what was going on and giving me visual counts and things like that. And, we managed to scrape through, but uh, yeah, sometimes it can work the other way around as well. Like uh, again, at Ruxton this weekend, we um, we we'd sort of scheduled a three-minute chat before the Motorstar race, and we've got Wit there and Shaky there, and we're all set to you know have a little bit of chat about what's gone on in the race yesterday and everything else. And suddenly they moved the start forward three minutes, and the bike set off behind us. <laughs> hadn't even uh, had a chance to speak to either of those two. So uh, little things like that happen, but they bounce through over such a long live broadcast and. Uh, yeah, you just got to be ready when we do. Yeah, I wondered what was happening there as well because we were commentating live on the Eurosport player and the three-minute board went up and then the 30-second board went up just a few seconds later. So you're thrown in. That's why you've got to be ready though, isn't it? And in position. I, I think I think Stuart, I think Stuart Higgs just likes to keep us all on our toes, Greg, you know? <laughs> That's without a doubt. But it does show though, doesn't it, that you know, you've got to make sure you are in position, give yourself time. Because there have been cases in the past when commentators have not been there ready to start <laughs> and the broadcast has started with no one there. Oh, well, that happened earlier this year as well at Brands Hatch that, uh, a few, well, two weeks ago. And um, old Jack Burnicle, bless him, our dear friend and oh, yeah, wonderful yeah, commentator that he is, he, um, he suddenly decided that he needed to hang some bin liners up on the windows yeah. because the sun oh, yeah, he couldn't see the monitor and everything. So he took his headphones off and he... He's passing around with the uh, bin liners, and we didn't realise this, of course. And they, they, they do have a little common com camera, don't they, in the comments? Yeah, box yeah. Can directly can see you guys. And he was just out of shot, so they thought he disappeared. And <laughs> they're going to me. Um, I'm getting ready to throw up to Jack because the session had started, and uh, he disappeared. <laughs> Nobody knew where he was. So they're going, keep talking, keep talking. So you know, we had shaking. I did an extra sort of two or three minutes, and then nice and casually just passed up to Jack as if nothing had happened, and. Uh, and he was back and on brilliant form as always. But, uh, yeah, that, that happens plenty too. What's your favourite, Matt? Because you've done stuff on stages, you've done presentations, award ceremonies, commentary, presenting as you're doing now. Have you got a favourite? I like what I'm doing now. I like the presenting. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed doing commentary before, and I think it's something I'd, I'd like to do one day again because I, I do love that too. Um, stuff on stage, when I'm in front of people, I'm not quite as comfortable with, to be honest, which is a strange thing, you know, when you've got that many people watching you on a TV, but yeah. you never really think about that. You can't I, I see them, I can I you? Used to, at the very beginning, I used to think about people watching and, and things like that, but it just doesn't help. It just makes you nervous and it just it's just not constructive. So I never really think about that anymore. But when you're standing on stage in front of, a, you know, even just 100 people or less, 50 people, um, that can be quite nerve-wracking because you're seeing everybody looking at you and, if you kind of crack a little joke and nobody laughs, then, you know, <laughs> which happens a lot with me, as you as you absolutely, well know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it just uh, I find that much more nerve wracking to be honest. So um, yeah, and I kind of don't like that attention, but I, I just really enjoy the process of trying to deal with the things that are going on, all the things that you've just been talking about, and um, yeah, trying to convey. Uh, at the end of the day, we're there because 
you know, motorcycle racing, I believe, is one of the greatest shows that we have on earth. And these boys are brilliant gladiators. You know, you call them what you want. Uh, athletes, and they've got a tremendous show. And uh, if we can go some way to conveying that, um, then we've, we've done our job, you know, just, just to kind of top and tail it and introduce these guys and show them for, for the fantastic athletes that they are. So uh, I, I just like that, trying to convey the emotion of it and, um, and get under it a little bit. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And Cadwell Park, obviously, next week. I've never been there before, would you believe? I'm looking forward to that. What should I expect? Oh, it's a treat, Greg. It's another treat. It's um, oh, it's unique. I mean, you, you've travelled to almost every circuit in the world with MotoGP and World Superbikes, and, and now with BSB, it's like nothing else in the world that you would ever go to. You know, it's uh, as everybody knows, it's narrow, it's tight. And there's a point, actually, there's no bridge over this. Well, there is a bridge, uh, um, a footbridge over one half of the track but for us to get from the top paddock down into the um into the center and down by the pits which mm. is where we present from there's no actual bridge over there so you have to wait for a gap in in practice to cross the track and the first time you cross the track you think you're thinking is this a service road or what because it's so narrow you can't <laughs> believe that it's actually it's actually the circuit yeah it's, it's um incredibly narrow uh, beautiful little part of the world in, in lincolnshire and uh, obviously everybody knows about the mountain, one of the most spectacular mm. bits of track in the world. And um, it produces great racing, so hopefully we'll get plenty of that. Yeah, I can't wait for it. Really looking forward to it. We'll be there. We're live on Quest as well, aren't we, for Cadwell, I think? We are live on Quest, yes. Yeah. So um, if anybody uh, is listening to this and you've got friends who don't have Eurosport, uh, then obviously Quest is free to air. Get on that. And um, if they're not hooked after watching BSB at Cadwell, then there's no hope for them. Yeah, <laughs> true. Just forget it. <laughs> yeah, Quest Eurosport 2 and the Eurosport player will be there. I'll see you there, Matt. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much then to the two Mackenzies and to Matt Roberts as well. And as we say, it's Eurosport 2, Eurosport player and indeed Quest TV for the Cadwell Park round of the British Superbike Championship next weekend. But for next week's podcast coming out on Monday, something a little bit different because this weekend I'm heading to Brackley in Northamptonshire for the Brackley Festival of Motorcycling, an annual event. They close off the high street. They get loads of classic bikes there. Some real stars are going to be there. We'll have Freddie Spencer, our very own world superbike commentator and three-time Grand Prix world champion. He'll be with us. Barry Nutley will be with us as well. Also a Eurosport commentator and a racer from the past. So many good stories for Barry. He used to work on BBC Grandstand back in the day. So I'll be asking them plenty of stuff like that at the Brackley Festival of Motorcycling this weekend. Very much looking forward to it never been there before and try and get over there if you can it's a great opportunity i think it's about fifty thousand people that they managed to get into brackley loads of activities going on not just to see the bikes themselves but all sorts of other things happening in the background there's going to be live music concerts and all sorts so try and get to brackley if you can which of course is the hometown of the world champions in Formula One, the Mercedes F1 team. So we'll speak to you from Brackley and that podcast coming out next Monday. And then, of course, it's on to Cadwell Park with all of the latest BSB action the weekend after that. See you soon. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.